Hello and welcome to Taxed and Wasted by the Australian Taxpayers Alliance. I'm your host, Emilio Garcia. Before we get into the news, I'd like to remind you that this is now a podcast, meaning that there's a video version. So if you're listening to this on your podcasting app, thank you for subscribing, but also go subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Facebook so that you can see the video version of the podcast. Uh, I am going to talk about some things that are not completely related to coronavirus. This is still part of the Corona Break edition of the podcast. And some of them, some of the stories we're going to touch obviously are lightly related because it, you know, the, the, the virus is basically everywhere uh, in terms of news. But we try to make it as light an association as possible. And the first thing we're going to talk about is the lockdown. So in New South Wales, lockdowns are easing. Currently, you can have 10 people in a hospitality establishment, such as a, a restaurant, a pub, if you serve food, and, uh, and establishments like that. And it was announced by Gladys Berejiklian that as of June 1st, 50 people were going to be allowed to, uh, to enter these establishments, which on the face of it is a good thing, because what we're saying is basically... Uh, hospitality companies now have the legal ability to hold a significant amount of patrons and actually start making more money, which is good. That, that's, that's a good thing for them. But I take issue, and I think this is the position generally of the Australian Taxpayers Alliance, that this isn't the most intelligent way to go about easing restrictions. So let's say you have Currently, we have 10 legal patrons in in New South Wales, and I believe in the Capital Territory as well. You have a tiny cafe on a corner somewhere in a a suburban neighborhood, and you have a big restaurant with two floors in the CBD uh, with an outdoor seating area. Both can currently hold 10 people. That doesn't seem very smart, does it? Because in the tiny cafe, having 10 people uh, means proximity between customers that is very, very different from the proximity between customers in the huge restaurant and the CBD. So why on earth would we set such an arbitrary number? And okay, now it's being increased, but again, it doesn't take into consideration the size of the establishments. So if you go to a tiny restaurant or a huge restaurant, both are going to be able to hold 50 patrons. Not particularly a smart way to go about it. What should be done? Well. You should probably allow a legal number of patrons per square meter or per a certain amount of square meters or enforce some kind of distance between party and party and set a limit for the number uh, of, of patrons that can be in a party. All of, those ty- all of those steps would take into consideration the individual circumstances of different businesses. But instead, we're just kind of placing this across-the-board number, which, yes, is better than nothing, but is not a particularly intelligent way of going about it. Uh, And it's not very comprehensive either. So there's a story in the Canberra Times about a venue who can only hold 10 patrons, but it has three separate restaurants, a pool, and various other uh, areas. Does that make sense? That they can only hold 10 people, this this, this establishment that that has three restaurants can only hold 10 people? Same amount as a local cafe in your neighborhood with three tables? Of course it doesn't. And it's not very helpful to businesses that have invested in a large infrastructure 
uh, to say that they can hold the same amount of patrons as a smaller uh, establishment. So uh, again, I'm happy that it's being increased, and I'm happy that the restrictions are, are easing cautiously and carefully. But we could do it in a much more intelligent way, I believe. Now, this is good news coming out of the internet space. Australia has created a super fast internet chip. Uh, chip. Super fast internet chip. There, I said it right this time. Uh, and this is, this is good, because what this essentially means is that Australia can have potentially four times the internet speed that it has now. So you're going to have to excuse my, my technological illiteracy here because uh, I had to read through this article a few times before I understood what it meant. But basically, there, there seems to be a way in which uh, chips are used to allocate, uh, to allocate which like, households have internet. And it also, uh, the chips are also used to process the information being uh, taken from individual internet users. So if I open Netflix on my computer, for example, there's a chip that is processing that information that's coming to me. And this super fast internet chip, which is four times, I believe, the speed of, of our internet currently, can basically replace the chips that we currently have in place that are getting us our internet, which is subpar, and give us super fast internet, in fact, making it the fastest internet in the world. Um, now, this is not going to happen soon, apparently. It, it's not as simple as just switching out a chip like you would on your smartphone. But if true, if, if, if this uh, chip is, in fact, uh, what it promises to be, then we could see a very fast internet in Australia at some point, which, uh, which is a note of good news in a world of terrible internet news that is Australian internet. I don't think I have to remind you of the NBN debacle. Uh, you certainly don't have to remind me. Uh, but we're going to move on now to some financial news. And this is about an agency putting Australia on notice amid concerns of household debt. So Fitch, F-I-T-C-H, is a rating company, and it joined S&P Global in giving a warning to the Australian government that household debt is out of control. According to them, the, the amount of household debt held by Australians puts Australia in a situation that they called an economic and financial stability risk. So I didn't know this. Uh, I came to Australia and I saw that there was a debt-to-GDP ratio that was way lower than the one that we have in America. Because in America, we have something like a 99 or 100% debt-to-GDP ratio, which means the, the government basically owes as much as the the country is worth every year. Uh, and Australia has a much lower rate, which is good. So I, I didn't find debt in Australia, government debt in Australia, to be a concern having come here uh, from the United States. But then I learn that household debt is out of control. And in fact, household debt is the highest in Australia than it is anywhere in the developing world. According to this article, household debt is at 186.8% of disposable income in Australia. So that's concerning. That means that there's more debt that is held by Australians than Australians are able to spend after meeting their basic needs. That's concerning. And I was discussing this with, with, a, with a friend of mine the other day because I read this article and I found it incredible. And he pointed out that in Australia, there's an industry where you can basically take out 
loans, take out debt to go on vacation, which is unheard of anywhere. Like I've lived in the United States, in Mexico, and now in Australia. And that's just not something that you really would do because you, you don't want to take a vacation that you can't afford. And apparently in Australia, it's, it's common practice. And so I think that this means that we have to take a look at the uh, borrowing habits of Australians and we need to do something about it. Because if this is putting us at economic and financial stability risk, and this is something that the government isn't doing, but that individual Australians are doing, then we need to, we need to work out how we're going to, to put ourselves in a more favorable position. And we don't want to be at economic and financial stability risk because we think of what's happening now. Yeah, we, the government forced this lockdown, and properly so, by the way, to a certain degree. Uh, and so that's why we have a bad economy. But what, what happens if this, if this comes to bear? If, if, the, if the household debt of Australians just completely starts to diminish uh, the, the ability of the Australian economy to grow and to prosper, that's going to be a very difficult issue to tackle. So we're going to move on now to the trade of tobacco and, uh, well, the trade of illicit tobacco, which is up 20% in Australia. So it's up again. It's not, it's not uh, rarely that we hear that the, that the illicit tobacco trade in Australia has grown because it grows all the time because it's in a constant increase, uh, which is not great for obvious reasons. Now, tobacco is very heavily taxed in Australia. And to a certain degree, this has achieved what the bureaucrats wanted it to. So let me explain. What happens when you tax tobacco at a very high level is that the casual users will stop purchasing it. So if you're not a person that, 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 that is addicted to smoking or, or has an affinity for it, uh, when it gets very expensive, naturally you're going to stop doing it because it's too expensive, it's not worth it, so you stop smoking. But this brings us to an issue that's called the hardened smokers theory. And this is the theory basically that if you tax tobacco, yes, the casual users will stop, but the addicted users have no choice. They're going to continue to smoke. And that's a bad thing. And that's a bad thing for two reasons. Because addicted smokers, after heavy taxes have been put on tobacco, are going to do one of two things. The first, is they're just going to put themselves into financial strains to continue this unhealthy habit. So they're going to continue to smoke at the rate that they were smoking before. They're just going to start spending a lot of money on it. And so all that money is going to be going towards tobacco, huge amount of money on tobacco excise that they could be using for themselves to save, to spend for their own good, uh, but now it's going towards tobacco. So that's the first possibility. But the second is they'll buy illicit tobacco. They will buy illegal tobacco, and that's, that's a big problem because even regulated tobacco is dangerous. <laughs> Two and three long-term users will die from smoking legal regulated tobacco. And so now, because these people can't afford to, uh, to smoke the legal product, they'll buy the illegal product, which is less safe, which God knows where it's made, God knows what kind of ingredients it contains, and uh, it's also handing money to criminals. So that's obviously a very, very bad thing. So we all want, we all want people to stop smoking. It's, it's very clear that smoking is a terrible habit, a, a terrible vice, and it kills two and three long-term users. 
obviously a bad thing. But we have to make sure that we're not causing more harm than good when trying to get people to quit. And I think if you ask me, and I think if you ask anyone, if you're saying that we're not getting addicted smokers off of cigarettes, but we are pushing them into the hands of criminals just because we, we put some taxes on, on cigarettes, I think a lot of people would say, yes, we're absolutely causing more harm than we're causing good here. So we'll keep an eye, an, an eye on this. For a while, we've been, we've been advocating against tobacco excise for a long time, and uh, hopefully we'll see, we'll see a change here because this is not a good story. We're going to leave it here. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, please don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. Also, follow us on YouTube and follow us on Facebook to get the video version of the podcast. This has been Tax and Wasted by the Australian Taxpayers Alliance. We'll see you next week.